Are you ready? All right, everybody, welcome back once again to Things You're Not Supposed to Talk About with Louis G. That's me. And today we've got a special guest. His name is Paul Spinelli. Paul has been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, I don't plan on having guests that I don't know. That's silly. Okay. Uh, if I don't know who you are, you're not coming on the show. That's it. I got to know who you are and I got to know something about you because I get you, just can't talk to strangers. Okay. That's why I'm doing a podcast. I'm all by myself. It's better that way. All right, so we've got a guest today. Uh, you might hear a little extra noise in the studio. That's all right. Uh, we've got some folks in here. Uh, if um, uh, Paul's wife here, uh, Elena is here as well, and my wife Mary is here, and if they make any noise in the background or squeal, it's because we're sexy. That's the only reason that's going on. Uh, there is no, no, no foolishness happening on, the, on this podcast, okay? We're going to try to keep it to 30 minutes uh, if we can, and uh, if not, we're going to go over time, and I'm sure it'll, it'll be worth it, right? All right, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, Paul Spinelli, how you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, Louie. Yeah. How are you? Good. And tell me a little bit about yourself, will you? Uh, about me, I've been uh, a friend of yours since probably second grade. That's terrible. And uh, and I have to say, before we get into anything, that you might not realize this, but but this podcast of yours uh -huh. is like the manifestation of a dream that you specifically, but we collectively had. In high school, I hope you remember the Lou Paul show. The Lou Paul show, yes, I do. We used yes. to we used to pl play radio, radio. Yeah, we did a Lou Paul show, and we had a Lou Paul show before Lou Paul, before Lou Paul, before Lou Paul. It and was Lou Paul. Unfortunately, none of that was recorded, so it only exists in our memory. Well, but it was a real thing. That's not true, Paul. Uh oh. Because I have record. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't have any recordings. Okay. I wouldn't do that to you. So I. So this is. I, this I would is, play them live. So this is. This is. <laughs> This is, I mean, it's an honor for me to be on the show yeah. that we imagined uh -huh. as kids, as somewhat kids. Yeah, there it is. I mean, we're here. Adults. We're here. Yeah. I didn't even remember Lou Paul until you handed me that stupid piece of paper last night. That's right. And there it was, Lou Paul. Lou and I'm Paul. like, look at this, Lou yeah. Paul. You're, and I handed it to you. I said, do you remember Lou Paul, the Lou Paul show? And you're like, I, I remember Lou Paul. I didn't know if yeah, you remember the, Lou, the, the Lou show part. Of Luke yeah, Paul. You know, we had a lot of collaborations. A lot of collaborations. All right, so we're here today because, uh, like, Paul's grown up now, uh, and, <laughs> and he's a big-time school teacher, and uh, he's a bio guy and a science guy, and he's got something that's uh, he's got something that nobody wants to talk about, right? And I, I agree with him, so we're putting it on the show. We're going to talk about vegetarian. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. What is it? Vegetarianism. Vegetarianism. That's the word, folks. Uh, I got a little. I'm getting a little old. Uh, and so is he. So veget vegetarianism. But Thank you not very much. Specifically, vegetarianism. vegetarianism. But, but what the, about vegetarianism well, that a, you don't a, like? What are we not talking about? It's a symptom of a larger philosophy of keeping everything status quo, changing nothing, and uh, the expectation that we have the ability to keep everything in our lives, everything in our experience, exactly the same. Stasis. With just a little bit of effort and a little bit of sacrifice for as long as we can. And I don't think that's even a realistic goal. And so vegetarianism, at least the, the, the reason behind, the justification behind it, for some, not for all, some choose it just for personal health reasons. But by and large, people who choose vegetarianism choose it because they feel the need to not be... Um, 
cruel to animals, this, this supposed inhumanity towards animals. What does that mean, though? I mean, so you, you're true. telling me that, you're telling me that uh, folks are being compassionate in their choice to be vegetarians. I think that's a motivating factor in some forms of vegetarianism, and I think it speaks to a larger philosophy of um, not hurting the earth. So I think they view that as a as a one of multiple ex, of reasons. I want to say excuses, but reasons for choosing vegetarianism. So if you're going to be a vegetarian, a vegetarian, yeah. you're you're talking two things. You're talking my health, and yep. you're, you're you're talking saving the planet in some form, way, shape, or form. Right. So how does one save the planet by being a vegetarian? I think one argument that I've heard is land use to raise animals is an inefficient way to use a limited resource. That is the land. And it's better if you do a simple energy production equation to eat the plants directly so, than, to, than to put that material through an animal and get a smaller amount of output at the end of the process. All right. So yeah. you're saying that because we have more land than animals, uh, that we are going to use that land to grow food and not feed animals so that we can all become vegetarians. I, I'm saying one way to address an exponentially growing population, human population, on a finite space, that's the planet, is to convert people to eating more plants, less animals, because putting perfectly good plant food through an animal so you can eat an animal produces less in the long run. So that's this, the argument. That's the prevailing argument. That's the argument. Okay. So... If the argument is such, it sounds yeah. like a basic argument, by the way. It doesn't right. sound like there's a lot of thought put into that argument. Right. I, I know there's a lot of folks, like I have a friend, uh, uh, his name is John, and he's a vegetarian, basically, um, and he doesn't drink milk or, you know, he drinks oat milk and things like that. And he has his reasons, right. and they're all valid. Like, every single one of them are valid for, medical reasons for him to- For him. Yes, for him, yes. And they seem to be working for him. So it's not such a bad thing to be a vegetarian, right? And I'm not arguing okay. against valid medical reasons to choose that lifestyle. So what is your argument about that? So in order to understand the argument, we have to kind of set some parameters. Okay. And the most important understanding here is the classification of people in general into two categories. And the two categories are... People that are here now, right. alive now. Everybody now. Everybody. Okay. Young, old, uh, able-bodied, disabled, various degrees of status, economic capacities, whatever. Right. Versus people who are not yet here. Some imagined future people. And given those two categories, the decisions to try to change policy because if you're doing it for your own personal uh medical health reasons you're not enforcing your vegetarianism or any of those choices on other people no i'm really discussing the ones that try to affect policy change uh. so that it limits your choices in terms of what will be available or how we choose to use the land or anything like that and my position is if you're making a decision for the benefit of future people because you think you're trying to enact a policy that saves the planet, 
Mm -hmm. leaves something for them. But in the process, hurting the people who are alive in the present by asking them to do with less, to struggle more, to put food on their table, then I think that's a fundamentally immoral and unjust position. And that's the basis of the argument. All right. So let's look at this for a second. So we're talking about uh, people that are here today versus people that are here tomorrow. Um, Are the people that are here tomorrow just as important as the folks that are here today? Mr. Spinelli says that is not true, that that is an untenable um, position to have because you can't live a full uh, and and ingratiating life uh, where you can pursue happiness if you are thinking about future generations who have not been born yet. Is that correct? Yeah, I think if you're asking somebody who's here in the present to do without for somebody who's not yet here, that that's an immoral and unjustifiable position to take. Well, 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 well so we're going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, Let's right? Let's do it. Let's do it, right? Because if, if you are on the side of climate change and you're on the side of, of vegetarianism, look at me, and, um, and you're saving on, the earth, saving the earth and things like that, then y- you are probably asking yourself, what the hell is Paul talking about? Why, why should we not consider future lives, you know, in this lifetime? Why would you, like, don't you have kids? Well, and I do. Yeah, but they're, me too. But they're presently here. So that's different. What I, about their kids? Uh, their kids don't have a stake in the decisions that are made for people that are alive now. If you could show me a policy change that does not negatively impact people who are alive in the present and simultaneously could potentially benefit people that are in the future, I have no problem with that. But if you're telling people who are alive now they must do with less so that we can have enough for future people who aren't here. That's an awful position to take, in my opinion. Hmm. Well, I, you know, um, if you sit here and think about it for five minutes, you can agree with Paul. Uh, and if you have your own position, you can agree with the next thing that I might, might say, which is um, the future of the planet is probably just as important as future generations, no? Uh, I, bl- I agree with you if there was any way to affect the change in the planet. I don't think change is something that we can control. I think the planet is undergoing and has undergone change that is beyond our ability to affect. And the idea that the status quo can be maintained long term belies all the evidence to the contrary. Oh, good. So now, now, now that we've got you on the show for a few minutes, right? Yeah. We're, we're running ten minutes in here. Yeah. Um. Now I'm going to do something that that people are doing right now. All They're right. doing the same thing I'm doing. They're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. They go. What are your qualifications, buddy? Uh, I have, I have. Well, so that question can be answered multiple ways. <laughs> I'm going to start by saying I have no qualifications. <laughs> what you do. whatsoever? Well, you're not sitting here. I promise uh, you that. <laughs> but um, I mean, my background in science. Um, gives me um, some understanding about the dynamic nature of the way the planet has changed over time. Okay. Um, Go. So I have uh, a, a master's degree right. in biology. Right. Uh, and then I follow that up with a second master's degree in evolutionary ecology. Wow. So you're, um, you're pretty much a guy who can talk about vegetarianism. I'm over-educated. Yeah, let's put it yeah. that way. I'm over-educated. Right. <laughs> I'm over-educated. I, whereas... whereas I am not undereducated, 
I am underwhelmed by my own education. How about that? Yeah. That's good. Okay, everybody's underwhelmed by what I know. Thank you. Yeah. Go. So you put master's degrees? Two master's degrees. In science. In science. In biology related. In biology related sure. science. Sure. Have you done any the theses or theories or anything like that? I was doing, for my degrees, I did some research, yeah. but not, nothing in this particular field. What brought this whole thing on? Where did you get this idea from? First of all, it's not a hard idea to come up with, right, folks? You could sit there and say to yourself all day long that there isn't enough space on this planet to make plants, and we've got to share that space equally with animals so that we can produce as much food as possible between the two food groups. I understand that, but where did you get the idea? I was asked to be an observer for a student presentation on uh, human population growth and sustainability, basically. Is that in high school? This is high school. That's boring as fuck, dude. It was a, it was a very good presentation, and I was asked to comment, specifically criticize, um, to try to have the students improve their presentations and make them better and plug up any holes. And one pr presentation in particular uh, suggested in order to save the people who are here or uh, pre presently and make the planet sustainable for future people that population growth should be controlled and land use should be shifted from um, from uh, animal husbandry to straight agricultural output, just plants. That's a crazy concept um, because you and I know that there's not enough land for that. So the argument was, that was made was we've got at the time, this is ironic because at the time the presentation talked about 7 billion people. This is only a few years ago. Now we have 8 billion people. Um, and it, it made the argument that if we took land that is basically pasture land, right, and we converted that pasture land to growing edible crops, that you could feed a, an X number more people. You just got to get rid of the cows and chickens. You just got to get Fine. rid of the animals. Yeah, pigs, okay. cows, chickens, and then sheep. Whatever. How do those animals take up farm space, though? They have to. They they need land to, to do what? To roam, graze, graze, right? And they need plants, and that those plants grow in soil, and Could, you can use that. Do we eat area. those plants? So, in some cases, um, we do feed livestock mm -hmm. on corn, for example, as right. feed. That's potentially yeah. edible. Food that can go to people? Yeah, but I think long term, you don't, you don't solve the problem. You just kick it further down the field. Right. And you claim to be maintaining the planet for the future group, the group that I'm arguing doesn't have a stake in the argument, in, right. in the equation. Um, but I, I don't see where it's, where it's sustainable long term. You're asking people fundamentally to go without in the present. The people that are alive now for some hopeful future people that don't exist well what are they i mean so i get the argument i understand how yep. it works and i i appreciate it and i agree with it by the way i'm not gonna i'm mm -hmm. not gonna tell you i don't agree with this okay. this is 100 percent. i agree with um but why would they why would they what, what are we going to do with the animals where do they go we, do they just die off do we not have them anymore what, what happens to them do they not freely graze do we not do we not keep them from, from ra roaming around? I mean, what do we do? What do we do with them? They're not here anymore? Where are they? Are we talking about chickens yeah. and cows? Yeah, we're basically? talking about chickens and cows. Chickens and cows. No more chickens and cows. 
the, the chickens we and cows we presently use as part of our food chain are incapable of living without our support. So open the pens, let them go, and left to their own devices, I don't know what their, what their future timeline is going to be. Okay. So um, what happens to that food? Because that becomes food for something else, not for us anymore. Right. So if you're asking me if we, if we give up the livestock part of our food chain and convert all of that land to just growing crops for people to eat, what happens to the cows and chickens? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's part of my concern. Well, right? let me or, ask you what, what happens to the land? Because you know what? Right. We, so you make a point about the land, but there's only so much land to grow food. Right. But we have land on this planet right now, which is incapable of growing crops that can sustain large groups of people. There's limitations to the quality of the soil. There's limitations to the irrigation that's possible. There's temperature limitations. Some crops just won't grow right. in certain climates, um, at least crops that are good for people to eat. But all those areas grow things that animals eat. Right. And so to ask a group of people who are living in poverty and famine because of the areas in the world that they live, um, to continue to live that way because, let's say, cows are sacred, so you can't eat a cow, right. is asking a whole group of people to suffer in the present for future humans who don't yet have a stake in these decisions. All right. right? And so I would say, Give that food to a goat and eat the goat. And don't bring in the goat's humanity into that decision. Because if you do that, you're, you're transferring present humans, whose humanity you should be concerned with, to the humanity of a goat who can feed people on food that you can't eat. So the goat eats something that is not edible and turns it into something edible and that feeds people and the only equation the only people that that are important in this equation are people who are alive now that's my argument that that's a good argument because people who are alive now are the ones that matter the most um the wef is going to say to you about population control that it's not necessary um i'm going to say to you the population control isn't real and um, is a construct of human activity, and there's no reason for population control. Uh, we can feed the people that we have. We just have to do a better job of, of distributing that food. Is that not true? I, I believe that that's true. And I believe if and when the population gets to the point where you're really pushing the boundaries of how many people can be on this planet, um, that's, that's a problem that present people shouldn't sacrifice their lives, their well-being, their humanity for. I mean, that presumes that we have the ability to keep everything status quo. And one part of status quo is no more than 8 billion people. Five years ago, no more than 7 billion people. Ten years ago, no more than 6 billion people. And so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. We don't have that power to stop that part of human biology. We're going to get more and more people. And so the only way to stop that is to seriously affect people who are alive now to fundamentally give up a biological imperative to have children. 
And that's, a, that's an inconvenience. That's a suffering. That's an inhumanity towards people who are alive now that can't be justified for some future utopian planet and or the people on it that is an unknown variable. And so you can't do, I don't believe you can do that. You know, I have a philosophy that I teach my girls and the, it's, it's a silly little philosophy and it comes down to um, taking care of yourself so that you can take, other, take care of other people. And I believe yeah. that as long as the population continues to grow, um, that those people are necessary, right? So here's what I mean. Um, if you're a dog and you get a flea and then you get more fleas, and then there's more fleas and more fleas and more fleas until the dog dies of a flea infestation. Okay? That's because the dog is a biological that cannot sustain the attack that it's under. The dog can't do anything about it except scratch the fleas. We're in that position, man. Yeah. We're in the position of fleas on a dog. Yeah. That's my opinion. And this planet will shake us off. Boom! That's the word like, I'm looking like for. water on a dog. Yeah, man. Without a care in the world. Yes, and I, and I don't want to extend that analogy to argue that the fleas have a right to exist on as dog. much as the dog does. <laughs> because this entire, yeah, that's argu- where I was going. this entire argument of mine orbits around one and only one concern, and that is humans. I am a, I am a humanist yeah. from the beginning Me to too. the end. Absolutely. So if there's a scourge going through the human population that can be addressed, a virus, a bacteria, uh, some, some thing um, that, that would require the eradication of, say, all mosquitoes, right? I'm not, a, I'm not an environmentalist, ecologist, uh, um, advocate to the point where I'm going to argue the mosquitoes have a right to exist, too. No, they do not. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They do not. I, I don't kill like them. Kill them every all. single one of them. Yeah. Now, however, <laughs> if you could show me where eradicating mosquitoes would have this reverberating butterfly effect and end up harming humans, then we have to find another solution because it comes down to humans again. Right. So humanity and humans are the sole priority in all of this decision-making that, that, I'm, that I have. Good. So I'm not saying that Everything has the right to exist. If it's in our way, it gets out of our way. I've been saying this for years. Everybody hates me for it. Yeah. I hope they don't hate you too. I probably <laughs> haven't said this eloquently, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? I've probably been a little more violent in my speech than you yeah. have. Yeah. But it's the point. There's nothing more important than what's happening today. And the analogy that I use for my girls is you're on a plane and the stewardess comes out and she stands there and she gives you her little speech. But the one part of the speech, which is the most important part of the speech, is... Um, if we lose cabin pressure, a mask will come down and that mask, you just reach into it and breathe normally. If mm-hmm. you are traveling with an infirmed individual or a child, put the mask on yourself first and then place the mask on the individual. And I teach this to my girls, place the mask on yourself first, no matter what you're doing. If you have children, I don't care. You place the mask on yourself first, not on your child, right? So the whole idea of what you're saying comes down to, we need to take care of our existence today change our existence today make today a better place and if today can become a better place then we can formulate in some way shape or form a process that everyone can follow that will keep this in some kind of stasis not a real stasis but some kind of stasis yes on any scale you choose to examine the stasis 
humans, the stasis of the planet, it is anything but. It is dynamic at the smallest scale and at the largest scale. Mm. Um, in, in just 10,000 years ago, we came out of the last ice age. This, yeah, 10,000. This, this planet would be unre The area you live in right now would be unrecognizable 10,000 years ago. And by all means, will be unrecognizable in the next ice age. We don't have the ability to stop that. We're not going to put up walls. We're not going to get out, you know, blow torches and light little fires and keep the... We're not? No, it's not going to happen. We We're not going to be able to change the axis of the earth or no. the, the way it turns or... No. You're not going to be able to stop the plates. We're not going to be able to stop the tectonic sliding. plates from sliding. No. We can't do that? No. And so when you tell me... That Why not? When you tell me I can't chop down a tree to put wood in a fireplace to heat my home to to give my family comfort because the tree has rights and cutting down the tree limits the stability long term for the planet then you've got your your focus on the wrong target because the stability of the planet is an illusion and your family and humans here and now are real and you're and you're just ignoring humanity because you feel it elevates your personal humanity by protect, protecting and, and enshrining something that's not human. So you're saying ego is involved? Absolutely. And I think there's a big ego trip in a lot of environmental. What is it, man, dude? What I gotta ask you? Tree man. hugging. Yeah. So why? You know why? Why? I why? It, why? If you know that this planet is the most omnipotent thing in the entire, I, in our fucking galaxy, why would you think you could change it? I, so t I, I think you, you're asking a different question than, than you originally posed. I'm going to go with the first question, which is okay. why have this ego? Right, why have this ego, right. And, I, and, I, and this is completely off the top of my head. I think fundamentally people want to help. I think you see that in the worst moments in, in people's lives, when there's tragedy. People don't run away from tragedy. They run towards it. They help. Uh, they take care of one another. Uh, they open their homes. They At open least their, they're supposed to, right? They open their hearts. I think, I think most I think people, a lot of people do that. I think most people have the capacity to do this. Yeah, of course. And I think that capacity is what motivates people to believe it's their role to, to help the planet. And that's when I think they get misguided and they put too much of their effort to the future because it's easy to advocate for the future. They don't ask anything of you. They're not going to judge you if you got it wrong. It's hard to turn around and advocate for somebody who's alive now, especially when that person isn't like you. Mm. And, I, and I think, and I think, and I could be wrong on this. I think that's an unconscious motivator to to look to the to the future and the world as a thing that needs saving. Hmm. When there, when humans, living humans now, are what matter. Yeah, living humans now. Well, what about those living humans now? Right? What are they into? What are they going into? Why? <laughs> look. I'm of the of the uh, of, of the ilk that um, you heard me. The planet's going to shake us off like a dog with a bunch of fleas. I'm of the, I'm that guy. I'm just waiting for it to happen. Hopefully, 
I don't see it happen. Uh, hopefully my kids don't see it happen, right? And here's the logic. Hopefully their kids don't see it happen and hopefully their kids don't see it happen. And so many people are affected by their own legacies, I think, that um, they're worried more in a sense of itself is, is this going to be here for what I've created? Is what I create going to last an eternity? Is what I've given to this world going to be here in 200 years? And it's not. No. It's not. No one's going to see. No. no one's going to know that you planted that tree. And no one's going to know that you did it to save the earth because right. the earth is still here. And they're going to wonder why you were doing it. Right. No? Yeah. And the, and the forest you tried to reclaim by enacting a, a reforestation program and a plant-a-tree program, that entire forest is going to be under ice in, in 10, 20,000 years. There, there's, there's no long-term stability that 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 is real it's an illusion what's the um what's the uh is there a timeline on on ice ages is there a... you know, there probably there probably is uh it's not something i studied so i can't give mm -hmm. you the numbers but mm -hmm. i do know it's cyclical and i do know we've been in a approximately a 10,000 year so cycle. like 10 to 12,000 right yeah for i believe it's oh boy it's a number of ice ages. It wasn't just one. No, it's got to be about 10. Yeah, it wasn't just one ice age. As long as there's been water, there's been ice ages. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that right now. And we and there's no evidence that we're outside of that cycle yet, although global warming could alter the duration and the intervals of the cycle. There's no indication that we're out of that cycle. And so, yeah, and so every building <laughs> erected north of... Uh, in this country, north of uh, the Carolinas, just a little bit, will be scraped down to the bare rock. Mm. And and there's nothing we could do but migrate south and wait for and the And wait ice. for it to end. And it's not even one person who's waiting. It's It'll be thousands and thousands of generations of people yes. who don't even remember how they why they migrated. Right. Going back and rebuilding from the ruins. It's It's not the kind of thing that you sacrifice the humanity of presently living people for mm. um and somebody might say yeah but ten thousand years that's quite a ways away okay it's not much different than 200 years from now because i, I don't because those people aren't here right i'm not going to be here 200 years from now if i yeah. am god forbid but it's not a personal thing it's not me i don't care because i'm not going to be here it's your efforts and your focus are misguided misplaced and mis guided and indefensible because it involves hurting people who are alive now so it's called it's called put it's it's it's, it's, called it's humanity. It, yeah it's it's the analogy it's the analogy of the of the plane of putting the mask on right. you first of knowing right knowing that knowing the lane that you're in in this world yeah. and and doing the best you can in that lane right exactly. um you know maybe you'll drive a little faster in that lane maybe you'll even get out of your lane in life and I think that's where this activism comes from for the planet. I think a lot of folks are out of their lane um, when they're doing this stuff. And I think a lot of them don't understand the simplicity with which they place upon their logic. I think the simplicity which folks give their own logic or the simplicity with which, which they use their logic to um, uh, enforce on other folks is not well thought out. And I think it's, it's too basic. I think that folks need to get a little bit deeper in that. What do you think, man? I mean, I, how, I think, how do they get deeper in that? I think it is a simplistic argument to just look at the planet and say, save that. Mm. That's what needs to be saving without really defining what it means to save it. What aspect of the planet are we talking about? Because clearly we're only talking about the 
very thin crust of the planet. Nobody's arguing <laughs> right. for saving the geo geothermal, geothermal <laughs> you know, interactions and cycles. Right. Only the spot that we're sitting on. It's just the crust. If there was an island, right, right we'd be really and, small people. And, and so <laughs> it, it simplifies the argument to say, I, I want this part of the world to be lush and tropical, and I don't want that to change. That's what needs saving, and that's exactly what's not savable. Right, right. And again, it, humans first. Humans first. And last, there's nothing in between. Listen, you would not, and this is not to humanize bears, but you would not think twice if a mother bear protected her cubs because that's her biological imperative. She came right. from a long line of bears who did exactly that. And their and, bears and any still mother, here because of any it. mother bear that didn't, that lineage died out because it's right. not it's not good for bear fitness to <laughs> not have a mother right. that doesn't protect you so we understand we expect this from mother bears we would not expect anything else but for humans we feel i guess a greater stewardship towards the planet that says okay you can protect your cub but let's think about the trees for a minute and let's and let's think about right. the let's think about this aquifer for a minute and let's think about this island for a minute do you really want to clear cut the trees in this area because look what happened to um look what happened to um i can't think of the the, the mayans yeah. when they cut yeah. down their forests yes. and decimated their entire yes. culture I said, okay but the people who were there there at the time needed that needed to survive yeah we can look at the, the future us can look and say that wasn't a very good decision but for us our 2020 hindsight being here now for them it was absolutely the right decision because it enabled the people who were there at the time they were there to continue to be alive and there was no plan b and so if it resulted in a in a destruction and a dead end that's the dynamic nature of life and of this planet and there's nothing you can do about it all right. All right, folks. So um, we're going to wrap that up. But, but I, want, I want to wrap it up with a, a little uh, quote from uh, my buddy, Marcus Aurelius, okay? Um, and Marcus Aurelius, uh, every once in a while I go through the book. It doesn't take me long to find a Marcus Aurelius quote in a book, right? I'm not doing it on my computer. I got a book in my hand. There are pages here, all right? This is a book, all right? So um, observe what thy nature asks of thee as one controlled by nature alone. Then do this, and with a good grace, if thy nature as a living creature is not to be made worse thereby. What is Marcus Aurelius saying? Marcus Aurelius is telling us that if we live by our own nature and do the things that we're supposed to do by our own nature, then our own nature is what will run our lives as it should. And you know what? There's ready? nothing wrong with that, folks. So I want to thank you, and I want to thank my guest, Paul Spinelli, for being here today and talking about this. We had a great time, and I hope you did too. Have a great day.